Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be gathered with you. If you're viewing at home, good to see you as well. We're glad that you are with us for worship. We've got 50 people representing Christ Church at Grove Farm who are in West Virginia this morning for our middle school camp, Amped. I actually had an opportunity to go down to Amped and spend a day with the team uh, this week. Man, what a fun time. They're having a great time. I'm sure they're not watching this church service right now because they're on the water. They're having a wonderful time. But I can promise you that the students are going to hear the gospel today. And there will be an opportunity as they hike up a mountain and go to a place where they can look over the hills to consider Christ. So why don't we join together in praying for them right now together as a church family. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we do um, come before you this morning And we know, Lord, that though uh, some are gathered in this room, others online with us, still others in West Virginia, we know, Lord, that we are one through Christ. And as we think about our middle schoolers and the leaders in West Virginia right now and the fun they're having, we pray they would have a blast today, yes, Lord. We pray they'd have great friendships. Most of all, we pray that they would know you. We pray they would see Christ clearly as they hike up that mountain. And they come to that place where they can look over the hills of West Virginia. We pray, Lord, they would see more than trees and mountains. But they would see you clearly. I pray you use Robbie and the entire team to speak to them, Lord. We pray that there would be seeds of faith planted in the hearts of these kids that we love. What an important day, Lord. What an important ministry. God, be with us as we share this time together and we look to your word. And consider to think about Jesus. And Joseph, God, we love you. We ask you to teach us. We pray it in his name. Amen. So many of you are familiar with the acclaimed filmmaker Martin Scorsese. Scorsese has done films like Taxi Driver, Gangs of New York, Goodfellas. He's been really popular and famous as a director and producer over many years. When Scorsese was a kid, he was... um, afflicted with asthma, really terrible asthma, and so he couldn't participate in sports. So he spent his time in two places chiefly. He spent his time at the cinema, no surprise there, and he spent his time in the church. He was an altar boy in the Catholic church, and, and, and this had such an impact on him and an effect on him that as he grew into an adult, <clears throat> he aspired to be a missionary, to be a missionary priest in the Philippines. That was his life goal. He wanted to go to the seminary, but somehow that came apart, and he ended up going to film school, and I guess the rest is history. You know, his films are said to represent a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. That's a pretty common uh, item or or theme for, for people, and his films tend to depict that. Not only that, Scorsese considers his movies... To be his confession, a sense, a sense of him expressing his faith to God. Whether you agree with that or not, here's what he says. 
He says, this quote, I thought this was interesting. He says, the most important legacy of my faith is guilt. It's probably because of all of those cuss words and violence in the movies, huh? He says, my, the most important legacy of my faith is guilt. I thought this was funny. A major heaping of guilt like garlic. A major heaping of guilt like garlic. Yeah, I wonder to what degree that sense of guilt has kept Scorsese from God in the course of his life. I wonder about that. You know, every person, if we mention guilt, every person knows about the enduring power of guilt. It's a pretty universal thing. In fact, if I ask you right now to think about that, think about guilt. Just let that word settle over you. My guess is there's something that comes to mind. I practiced this this week. I tested myself, and, and yeah, things come to mind when you think about guilt. How about you? Well, in case you're having trouble coming up with something, I'll help you. I got a list of things that might help you think about guilt and put the guilty conscience on you. How about this? Do you think about a time uh, that you worked too much as your kids were growing up? Is that something that maybe causes you to feel guilty? Uh, do, do you think about giving up on a marriage too easily? Do, do you consider a time when you spent too much money, you weren't wise with your finances, or, or perhaps that you never said, I'm sorry? Those simple words, the powerful words. Is there, a, is there an affair? that took place in your life, that's never come to the surface or never been dealt with. Maybe there was an abortion. You know, 33% of women have an abortion. And most of them never, ever, ever talk to anyone about that. Many carry a sense of guilt. And by the way, guys aren't free of that equation, are they? Obviously. Men are a part of that equation as well. There's guilt that comes from that. Maybe you didn't give yourself fully to your job. Maybe you didn't give yourself fully to your marriage or to your family and somehow. And maybe it's none of these things. Maybe it's something that's not in the past, but it's actually in the present. What you said yesterday. What you did in the past week. An addiction that's ongoing that has its grip on you. And whenever you hear the word guilt, or perhaps even if you don't hear the word guilt, there's this sense of guilt that pervades you. I wonder, to what degree does guilt keep us? To what degree does guilt keep you from God? It's not just Scorsese who's got the garlic, right? We got the garlic too. We got the garlic of guilt in our lives. Well, today we're going to catch up with the brothers, the sons of Jacob, and Joseph, we are actually wrapping up our 11-week series on the life of Joseph today, Meant for Good. Really have enjoyed this series. I hope you've been digging into the Word of God with us. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to go back to these brothers. Their dad, Jacob, has died. And as Jacob passes from this life into eternity, the brothers panic. A sense of dread sets into them. They are stricken with guilt. You just heard Pastor David read from Genesis 50 from us. And, the, and they go to Joseph as soon as Jacob dies. And they tell him this story about Jacob saying, hey, tell Joseph that he needs to forgive you, his brothers. I wonder if they made that up. I suspect they may have. I can't say for sure. You could disagree with me. But I wonder if they made that up. These guys weren't beneath that kind of thing. They had kind of a sketchy path, didn't they? 
And so they're really stricken with guilt about what has transpired. And this is despite the fact that Joseph has already spoken a reassuring word to them. Go back to Genesis 45. Look at that. He's already spoken to them and dealt with it and said, listen, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. We're good. Let's move on. Joseph's already said that, but they have guilt. And this speaks to something. The enduring power of guilt is keeping the brothers from the calling of God on their family. It's keeping them. It's holding them back. Look, it's not just the brothers. I wonder to what degree you are facing some guilt over something. Perhaps it's, it's like a legitimate thing. You, you feel guilty because it's never been dealt with. You feel anxious. Well, if that's you, there's hope for you in this word. I want to read you a quote before we go to Genesis 50 from a Christian thinker named Philip Yancey. Here's what Yancey has to say about guilt. He says, the sense of guilt only serves its designed purpose if it presses us toward the God who promises forgiveness and restoration. That is our hope. That's our prayer today. That if you are sitting in this audience, if you're listening online, and you feel a sense of dread, a sense of guilt, like the brothers, like Scorsese, that there is a hope that that guilt can, in a very healthy way, push you and press you towards knowing God and his reconciliation. So with that, let's turn to Genesis 50. You have heard Pastor David again read the narrative to us. He was reading out of the NIV. I'm going to take it today. I'm going to show you a few different translations from Genesis 50. And we're going to go and use the ESV today. There's a reason we're going to use that. Go to Genesis 50 with me. I'm going to jump in and we're going to look at three verses. Verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. And I want to pull out a few phrases words that I think are really powerful for us and will help us process this idea of guilt. So here we go. Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, these are the brothers who are guilty before him. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? I love it. Joseph says, do not fear. Those are the words I want to highlight for you out of this verse. Do not fear. You know, Joseph is bringing a fresh understanding, a new understanding to what's happened. And these words, do not fear or fear not, they, they, they appear in the scriptures many, many, many times throughout the course of the Holy Bible. And these are words that are powerful for us. I'm going to give you four examples. It would be really fascinating, by the way. To do a study of all the times that the Bible says, fear not or do not fear. I'm going to give you four. You might want to jot these down. If you go back to Genesis 15, verse 1, we see the very first appearance of this phrase, fear not or do not fear. It happens with Abram. Listen to Genesis 15:1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. This is the first time it appears in Scripture. It appears many times after this. And what does God say to Abram? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Let's look to Isaiah. Isaiah, in exile, hears from God three times in the course of five verses. Listen, picking up in in chapter 41, verses 10, 13, and 14. So do not fear. God says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
For I am the Lord your God. This is verse 10. I'm sorry, 13. Who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid. You worm, Jacob, little Israel, do not fear. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One. It's in the New Testament. We could find the words fear not or this do not fear in the life of Christ. Go to to, uh, Luke chapter 2. The announcement of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds by a multitude of angels. And what is said to them? Luke 2 verse 10. The angel said to these shepherds, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. We even see it. After the death of Jesus, the resurrected Christ appears to his disciples. And what does he greet them with? In Matthew 28, verse 10, Jesus says to these disciples, do not be afraid. Over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Have no fear. We see it time and time again. God is saying something to the people recorded, whose lives are recorded in the scriptures. And he is also saying something to us, I believe. Have you come in here with guilt today? Have you come in anxious? Is there a sense of dread? Are you worried about what's happening in our world? Are you worried about your finances? Are you worried about your children? Are you worried about your grandchildren? Is the future pressing up against you? Are you worried about friends and family? Do you feel a sense of guilt about things that you have left undone or things that you have done? Listen, here's what God says. Do not fear. Have no fear. Do not be afraid. Over and over again, the words are in Scripture. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers to level the playing field. He begins his big statement by saying, do not fear. Church, that's for us today as well. If you are stuck in guilt, listen, the Lord says, hey, chill. Do not fear. Do not fear. You know, There's been a time, certainly, I could think of when I needed to hear, do not fear. You know, fear not is spoken to announce that the purposes of God are much larger and more powerful than the grip of guilt. I could think of a time when I needed to hear that. Um, uh, Several years back, I had a colleague that I worked with. Actually, this person worked for me. And the relationship, working relationship, did not go well. In fact, it ended with this person leaving the staff. And this wasn't a good thing. It was painful in a lot of ways. And it just so happened that working in the context of the church, that that I had interaction with this person's family subsequent to the, 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 uh, the parting of ways. And so I was leading a mission trip to Belize, and a few of this person's family members came on the trip. And one of them got sick on the mission trip. And things once again got sideways between us because of the sickness and what happened and the way that was perceived by this person, how the sickness was handled. This, this caused a great deal of conflict, anxiety in me. And I remember going to a, a reunion party for the mission trip. We had had our time in Belize. We were going to celebrate what God had done. And I had a sense of dread about the fact that this person and their family might be present. And sure enough, I show up, and who's there? First people I see, there they are, right? And it's like, oh, man. Well, 
to be honest with you, I, didn't, I was trying to avoid them. I didn't talk. You ever do that? Like, I'm not going I'm I'm to go over and get the food while you're there. I'm going to talk to other people. I'm going I'm to try to avoid and navigate this thing. What a cowardly way to deal with it. But this is how I was dealing with it. Not proud of that. But to the man's credit, he came up to me. And he extended his hand and he said one word. He said, peace. Which was like him saying, fear not. Which was like him saying, hey man, don't be afraid. Which was like him saying, do not fear, you see? And that's a game changer. Fear not has a way of inverting situations. And so God says to us today, he says it here in the scripture. It's spoken over these brothers. I believe it's spoken over us to a people who face guilt and face anxiety and have things that are holding them, the Lord says, do not fear. Let's go back to the text, Genesis 50, picking up in verse 20. This is the summary statement, I believe, of Joseph's life. This is it right here. This is the big one. He says, you, you, um, so as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God meant it for good. That's why we call this series by this title, God Meant It For Good. And if we look at that phrase, meant for good, and if you actually trace it back to the original language, what you'll find is, is that it's actually probably better to translate this as God planned it for good. God planned for good. In fact, if you look at the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is a great translation, by the way, very faithful to the original text, great work done on translating that particular version of the Bible or translation of the Bible, you'll see that it says this, you planned evil against me. God planned it to bring good about about the present result, the survival of many people. You see, there's a plan here that's being spoken of. The brothers have been much concerned with their plan. Their plan was to eliminate their brother. Their plan was to throw him into a pit, pretend that he was dead. In fact, maybe kill him first, but ultimately to pretend he was dead, to send him into slavery, and then to lie to their father. That was their plan. And by the way, why are they guilty? That's why they're guilty. This is the source of guilt in their life. They had this plan. They had this scheme that they had worked up. Here's what they couldn't see. They couldn't see that in the midst of their scheme was another plan that they didn't even know about. A plan that God was working, even in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their depraved ways, God was doing something. Another plan was at work that none of them knew about, and that's a plan that destines their family for life in a world that's dying. God was working a plan, and none of the ways of Pharaoh, none of the ways of the brothers could stop that plan, could keep that plan from coming to pass. You see, God had a purpose here. And the purposes of God always supersede the best human plans. You hear me? The best plans and purposes of God always supersede the best human plans every single time. And this means two things for us. This means that we are assured that we can trust ourselves to God's transcendent purposes. In other words, if we 
agree and if we believe and if we know that God has a purpose that's higher than any human plan, that transcends the ways of people, then we can have a peace. We can take rest that the purposes of God supersede the plans of men. Not only that, we can be warned that our plans are subject to review. If God's purposes supersede the best human plans, well, you better bet then that the plans of man are subject to review. I think 2020 is a great example of this. How's your plans for 2020 coming along so far, friends? I think they've been thrown off, haven't they? What a lesson for us. The best plans, even, of people are subject to review because God's ways, His purposes, will always supersede the ways of people. And I believe that this should give us great rest. This idea of God's plan superseding, man, apply this to what's happening right now all across the globe. Apply that to our nation. The plans of God, the purpose of God supersede man's ways. Apply that to the church. There are people who are, who are concerned about the church and what's going to happen in America with the church. Listen, the purposes of God supersede even the best plans, certainly the worst plans of people. Apply this principle to your family. Hey, apply it to your career. All of these things. Are you coming in here anxious about these things? Are you feeling a sense of guilt about these things? Listen, let me tell you, the purposes of God supersede the best human plans. So to recap, the evil plans of people do not defeat God's purposes. No way. In fact, they become the way in which God's kingdom is furthered. How about that? That's what God does. The evil schemes of people turned upside down, put into a machine that cranks out something totally new and beautiful. It's like God's recycling project. He takes the worst of humanity, the best of our plans even, and what does he do? He takes them and he uses them to advance and further his kingdom. This is why we celebrate scriptures like Romans 8:28 when we say that God um, uh, when we say rather that, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. For those those who are called according to his purpose. This is why Jeremiah 29:10-11 when we say for I know the plans that I have for you God says, plans to prosper not to harm, plans to give a hope in the future. This is why these are so powerful, because God's plans supersede. His purposes go over top the ways of people. So meant for good, actually, as it turns out, is a gospel affirmation that governs the entire Joseph account. It's a gospel affirmation. Do you see it? It's good news that says, look, in the face of the worst of people in humanity, God's plans supersede, surpass that, way, that of human people. Meant for good is a gospel affirmation. It is good news for us. And that affirmation pushes us to the God who, who is one of redemption in the face of guilt. Let's go back to Genesis 50. I want to look at one more word. We've looked so far at fear not. We've looked at meant for good. 
I got another one for you in verse 21. The scripture says, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. I love that. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Speaks to a loving, kind person. This is the way God's heart is toward us. You're worried about your grandchildren? You're worried about your children? God says, fear not. Take heart. Don't be afraid. I have, have peace because I will provide for your little ones, your descendants. And here's what, what Joseph says. It says, thus he, uh, it says about Joseph, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want to point out this word comfort. I think this is really important because comfort for this family had been a long time coming. I mean, there was no comfort in this family. In fact, if you go back to where we started, Genesis 37, you look at verse 35, I want to remind you of what Jacob said there. Jacob, upon learning that his son is now lost, he thinks he's dead. What does he say? Well, look at it. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. Everyone tried to rally around Jacob, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol with my son, mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Look, all the people tried to comfort Jacob. But he wouldn't be comforted. And so this hung over the family like a pall for many, many years. We're talking a long time. There was no comfort for this family. And what happens here? In the midst of all that, in the midst of their guilt, the brothers are comforted. Treated with kindness. Given promises from on high. As they wallow in their guilt, they're comforted. And that takes me back to our list that I shared at the beginning. Okay? So what are you guilty about? Is it marriage, kids, money, relational failings? Is it addiction? What is it? What are you guilty about? We serve a God who wants to speak comfort to you today and say peace to you. He extends the hand and says, peace, fear not. What you meant for evil, I am working for good. Turn to me, trust me. I want to speak words of comfort. Listen, trusting in the persistent good plan of God provides comfort. You want a cure for your anxious mind? You want a cure for the guilt? Tell you what, Turn to God. Trust in the Lord. Trusting in Him and His persistent. I love that. Persistent. Good ways. Good plan. When you do that, you will receive comfort because you could trust in His principle that He works things together for good. So, I mentioned Scorsese at the beginning of the message. One of Scorsese's most famous films, most beloved films, is one that appeared First, 40 years ago, Raging Bull. Anyone ever seen Raging Bull? Okay, classic movie, De Niro. And in Raging Bull, Scorsese tells the story of boxer Jake LaMotta. And Jake LaMotta in this story is seeking redemption, essentially, in the boxing ring. And he's fighting against life. It's this whole flesh versus spirit struggle, right? And he finds himself in the boxing ring. And that boxing ring is a metaphor for LaMotta, maybe it's for Scorsese, maybe it's for us. And there's this great iconic image that takes place in the film in the midst of that boxing ring. 
And it's a picture of a rope in that squared circle with blood dripping off of it. And I think that's an artistic statement that Scarsese puts before us. And I believe that what he's putting in there for those who have eyes to see is that there is a way out of the boxing ring. You'll never win, even if you become the champion truly. But there is a way for us in the midst of the fight of life. And that way is through the blood of Jesus. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Listen, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood that was shed, that dripped from his face. And we have the forgiveness of sins. In other words, those who have a guilty conscience, those who are faced with the garlic of guilt, have a way out, and it's through Christ, whose blood was shed. And through his blood, there is forgiveness of sins. The account of Joseph, here we are wrapping it up. The account of Joseph is not an end in itself. I mean, this isn't just a good story for us to be entertained by. No way. It is a pattern of God's work both now and in the times to come. Do you see it? This is how God works. He says, fear not. He says, I will turn it from evil to good. It's meant for good. It's planned for good. He says words of comfort to us. And listen, if you haven't caught it yet, and I know you have, it's about Jesus. It's about his blood. Listen, he is the object of the Father's special love. He had promises of divine exaltation. He was mocked by his people. He was sold for pieces of silver. He was stripped of his robe. He was falsely accused. You see it, people. It's Jesus. He was faithful amid temptation. He was thrown into prison. He stood before rulers. He is exalted after and through humiliation. He embraced God's purpose in the face of intense physical harm. He is the instrument God uses to save his people. The point of the story of Joseph is all about Jesus and pointing to the pattern of God's work. Oh, I hope you see it, everyone. This is our hope. This is the way that we move beyond guilt. And you better believe that just as these brothers, and I hope you caught this in the midst of the story, just as these brothers bowed before him again, just as Joseph prophesied and spoke of and dreamed of in Genesis 37, the brothers bowed before him in chapter 50. We see it. And in the same way, we must bow before Jesus. We bow before him. We were just singing the lion and the lamb this morning. I couldn't help but think about this passage. It's all about this dream. It's ultimately about worship. The brothers bow before Joseph, which points us to people of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue who will bow before Jesus. There's a dream, and that dream's at work, and it's spoken of. Even here in Genesis 50, it is about Jesus. And listen, the power of the promise of the gospel leads us beyond guilt and into a new life. 
promise of the power of the gospel leads us beyond guilt and into a new life, that is the good news for you and for me. Straight from the book of Genesis, my friends. It's here for us today. Are you weighed down with guilt? I mean, when I mentioned guilt, were there things that come to mind? Things left undone. Things that you've done. Yesterday, many years ago, whatever it might be. Listen, lay it down. Lay it down. The brothers had to lay their guilt down because God said, no, there's a dream. Enough of that. There's a dream. Peace to you. Fear not. You meant it for evil. But I have worked it and planned it and made it for good. Words of comfort to you, my friends. Here's how I would invite you to respond to the word of God today. As we close this series meant for good, as we consider the life of Joseph, I think it would be appropriate if we bowed on our knees before God. So we have kneelers. If you would lay down those kneelers, I invite you, if you're willing, to join me in bowing before the one, Jesus Christ. The one and only true God, if you're at home, you can bow with us as well. You can bow right in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you're listening to this message. Let us bow before God. Let's come before him. Oh, God, we do come before you in various states this morning, some being weighed down with guilt, some anxious about the future. But, Lord, as we read the account of Joseph, it gives us hope. Because you're a God who says, fear not. You are a God who says what you meant for evil. Even in your brokenness and sinfulness, I have planned for good. I have meant for good. You are a God who speaks comfort over us this morning. Oh Lord, thank you so much for the life of Jesus. He is the one who was stripped, beaten, imprisoned, forgotten, forsaken, all these things so that we might have salvation. We might be saved. We might be cleansed from a guilty conscience. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that brings forgiveness of sins to us. Lord, as we contemplate these things, I pray that you would free us from the sense of guilt and lead us into a new life through Christ. Truly, Lord, every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Who can stop your ways, Lord? No one can stop your ways. And so, Lord, in surrender this morning, we come to our knees and we bow before you. Oh, Lord, thank you. We love you. We praise you. We trust you. We believe you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.